Anatimanandasya Gananjana Salakaya Chaksuru Militam Yena Tazmai Shi Gurvena Maha Shi Chaitanimino Bishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam Namaum Vishnu Praya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swaintanamane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharne Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatyade Satarne Today I'm going to talk about the appearance, the reasons for the appearance of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I think in most parts of the world, including Russia, tomorrow will be the appearance day of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Is that right? In Europe and America also. So Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Janma karma chamedivyam evam yo veti tattvataha tyaktvadeham panarjanma naitimam eti sarjana that anyone who understands the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not, upon leaving this body, take birth and again in the material world, but attains my transcendental abode. So the aim of life is to realize Krishna in truth, tattvataha. Tattvataha means something that can actually be experienced. Tat means that in English. And tva indicates something that's experienceable, that either by the eyes, or by the ears, or somehow or another, we can actually perceive it. Now, Krishna generally is known as uh, that which is unmanifest, that is unmanifested without spiritual senses. If one has spiritual senses, then Krishna remains avyakta, or unmanifested. And for one who's actually in Krishna consciousness, Premanjana Charita Bhakti Vlochanena, one whose eyes are filled with love for Krishna, then Krishna appears as Shaima Sunda within his heart. So the aim of life is to develop bhakti or love for Krishna. And by developing love for Krishna, then one will be able to perceive Krishna, experience Krishna. The Krishna consciousness is not just a theory or a philosophy, it's supposed to be an experience. And how to experience that transcendental nature of Krishna is through the process of devotional service. But devotional service is not, as I said, just activity. It's also an understanding philosophy. It's also a mood, a mentality. And that mood and mentality has to be developed through proper understanding and applied with, with our body, mind, and words in Krishna's service. So we should understand not only what we're supposed to do, Bhagavad Gita tells us that Krishna is God. And not many people actually understand that Krishna is God. Most people think that they're God or they take someone else. Well, actually the soul 
being in bewilderment, factually what he takes as God is his material false ego. And on the basis of the false ego, misidentifying ourselves with these gross and subtle bodies, uh, therefore we take the dictation of our mind and senses as the goal of life. The more we gratify our, the dictation of our mind and senses, then the more we believe in conditioned life that we're making progress. And of course, the ultimate end, the ultimate, uh, the final result of gratifying our senses is that we die and have to take birth again and get another set of senses, another, we carry our subtle mind with us into another body and begin the whole process again, trying to gratify endlessly the dictation of the mind and senses. The soul by nature is a servant. Either we serve Krishna or we serve our senses. That's our choice. If we're not conscious of Krishna to one degree or another, then we have no choice but to gratify our senses because we have to do something. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's come here because he's the Supreme Personality of God in himself in order to instruct us how we can become conscious of Krishna. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is taking the part of a devotee, although he's actually God. Because we have to learn from some authority. If Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this age came as God to instruct us as a supreme authority, then many people wouldn't accept him. Krishna himself came 5,000 years ago and displayed his transcendental pastimes. Now, although Krishna is an historical figure, and although one can still go to a place like Vrindavan and see Govardhan Hill, see the pastimes of Krishna, but still people don't accept Krishna as an actual person that he actually appeared here 5,000 years ago. They speculate that maybe he was a powerful person, but after all, he was just an ordinary person. Just like Kangsa, when he was speaking to Akura, he said, who is this Krishna? Why are you telling us that he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead? Just because he lifted one pebble, Govardhan Hill, Still, you, you're telling me that he's God just because he defeated one harmless water snake, Kalia. Then Kangsa said, who is this Krishna? What is this power? And then he was informed that Krishna had just killed Kulyavalpita, an elephant that had the power of 10,000 other elephants. And Kangsa became a little nervous. And he said, well, so he defeated one small elephant. But I have great wrestlers. And then Krishna was, I have great wrestlers who can protect me. And then Kangsa was informed that Mustika, Chanura, Toshala, 
they had all been killed by Krishna. So then Kangsa became even more nervous. And he said, how, maybe I should go and surrender to this cowherd boy. But how can a great warrior like me surrender to a cowherd boy? So in other words, even when Krishna was personally present 5,000 years ago, even when some people saw directly Krishna's power, still they could not accept Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And especially in this age, people, they're seeing, but they can't see. Just like in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that he enters into the planets and by his energy, the planets stay in their orbits. Now everyone can see in this universe, there are so many planets and especially the most obvious planet would be the sun. Every day we're seeing that the sun rises at a certain time. And every day we see that the sun sets at a certain time. There is a schedule. Now we ourselves, we don't know what time we're going to get up in the morning. We don't know what time we're going to go to sleep. And we're supposed to have intelligence. And yet we see that the most powerful planet in the universe, full of infinite effulgence, which provides heat and light to the entire universe, is moving exactly in an orbit. And what do the scientists, so-called scientists say? Oh, it's all by accident. Now the scientists with all their knowledge, they cannot create such an accident. That if something's an accident, for instance, if you're on the street and one car hits another car and the police come to find out what happened and one person says, don't worry, my dear policeman, it makes no difference. It was just an accident. There was no cause behind it. It just came out of nothing, the accident. No, the police will actually want to find out what happened. Similarly, if we see the sun rising at a certain time, the sun setting at a certain time, the sun giving us exactly the amount of heat and light necessary to maintain our life on this planet, then an intelligent person would ask, how did such a marvelous creation come about? So Lord Brahma, the most intelligent person in the universe, he says, it's chaksha esha savita sakala grahanam. He says it didn't come about by accident, it came about because there is a supremely intelligent person who created this planet called the sun and is moving it in an orbit by his energies. Similarly, when we eat food without our conscious experience or intelligence, the food is being digested, hopefully being assimilated, and unnecessary parts are being eliminated, all going on without anyone's conscience, conscious effort. And yet the scientists, after studying it for so many years, biology, chemistry, physics, whatever else, they still don't know how this has come about. If they knew how they destined came about, 
how the, what is the chemical reactions that go on for digestion, then they could do some wonderful things that Krishna is already doing. For instance, we can see that, well, let's say that if there was a machine that you put grass in one end and by the scientist's understanding of how to digest that grass, the other end of the machine, milk would come out. That would be a very nice machine. Is that right? Everyone can agree that that would be a good machine. If you put grass in one end of the machine and you got milk, that would be a good machine. And of course, it would be organic milk. You wouldn't have to worry about, it would be nonviolent. You wouldn't have to worry about being a himsa. And everyone could get milk. You just mow your grass. You just cut your grass in your, in, in the, in your lawn and put it into the machine and you can get unlimited, amount, unlimited amounts of milk. But the scientists can't do that because they don't know how to digest grass. But Krishna has invented a machine that does exactly that. It's called the cow. You put grass in one end and out the other end comes milk. Unfortunately, the scientists don't appreciate the cow. As a matter of fact, instead of giving the cow the Nobel Prize for chemistry, they kill the cow and eat it. So this is called ignorance. So Krishna, as he says in Bhagavad Gita, people don't understand him they're, because they're covered by the illusory energy. Therefore, out of his causeless mercy, once in a day of Brahma, Krishna comes and displays his pastimes as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna advents himself every day of Brahma in the Dwarpa Yuga and brings his transcendental entourage, his associates, and they show how one can be a friend of Krishna, how one can become a servant of Krishna, how could one become a, a parent of Krishna, and how one could become a, a conjugal lover, lover of Krishna. Now Krishna knows he's been doing this since time memorial. He already knows that people are not going to accept him. They're going to criticize him. Who is this Krishna? Why should we accept him as God? He was just a coward boy. As I said before, his parents were, were criminals. That's why he was born in a prison. His parents escaped, but they kidnapped a little girl and brought her into the prison. They were so heartless. And eventually this little boy grew up in the village and he became the head of the mafia there and was constantly stealing from all the neighbors he killed the animals in the forest there. He killed a bull. He killed a bird. He killed a, an ass. He killed so many living entities in the forest. And his life of crime went on even after he left Vrindavan 
and went to Mathura. He killed his uncle. Then he fled into the ocean and many people came to visit him. As a matter of fact, armies came to visit him and he wound up killing them too. So this is the person you declare as God, born from criminals, grew up in a jail, was born in a jail, went to a village and, and created a mafia there when he was even a small child, fled the village. Ladies were running after him, so he fled the village and went to a, a city nearby. And there he also continued on with his life of crime. And yet these people are claiming that they're devotees of such a person. How foolish they must be, people will say. So people don't understand. As Prabhupada said, they claim Krishna was lusty because he married 16,108 wives. But see if anyone could in this planet nowadays to marry 1,600 16,108 women and maintain them perfectly in 16,108 palaces with thousands of servants. So Prabhupada said, if Krishna was lusty, well, he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead, so he was unlimitedly lusty. He married 16,108 women, but even if he married 16 million or 16 trillion, women, that wouldn't be sufficient. Krishna is in everyone's heart. So factually, Krishna is the husband of all the entities, but to speak of just a few ladies in Dwarka. Therefore, one should try to understand Krishna in truth. But because people could not understand Krishna, therefore they became more and more captured by the illusory energy. Out of compassion, 4,500 years later, Krishna appeared as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And as it says in the Vidagna Madhava, Adi, which is quoted in Adi Lila 3.4, Anarpitam Charim Charat, Karuna Yavitara Karu, Kalo, Samarapiyatum Ud, May the Supreme Lord, who is known as the son of Srimati Sachi Devi, be transcendentally situated in the innermost core of your heart, resplendent with the radiance of molten gold, he has descended in the aid of Kali by his causes mercy. To bestow what no other incarnation has ever offered before, the most elevated mellow devotional service, the mellow of conjugal love. Now generally Krishna comes in every millennium, yadai yadai dharmasya. And when he comes, comes in some form or another, Krishna shows his pastime. He came as a boar, Varaha. He came as a fish, Matsya avatar. He came as a tortoise, Korma avatar. But generally speaking, most of these incarnations, uh, Krishna shows relationships up to friendship. 
as in Lord Ramachandra's advent, he had friends like Sugriva or Hanuman, who's a partial servant, partial friend. But rarely Krishna showed parental relationships with his devotees, that his devotees were parents and that Krishna was their son. Maybe as Aditi and Kasyapa, when Lord Krishna appeared as Vamanadev, there is some element of Vatsalya Rasa, parental love. But when Krishna came 5,000 years ago, he displayed all the different Rasas, but especially difficult, but especially important is the conjugal Rasa. Because in this world, which is a reflection of the actual world, the spiritual world, here, conjugal love is taken as the supreme rasa, the supreme enjoyment. Because we've come here in order to imitate Krishna and in order to help us imitate him, then Krishna gave us material bodies. And in every species of life, they come generally in two, because nowadays there are more varieties than two, or at least people are imagining that there's more varieties than two. They've made two into more than actually exists. But in any case, generally in every species of life, there's male bodies and there's female bodies. The confusion comes when someone is a male and he thinks they're a female, and someone is a female, they think they're a male or something in between. But actually there are only two, male and female. Now, the male bodies are generally trying to be the laws of material nature in any species of life, whether it be the human form of life or even other forms of life. The male tries to be the Lord, and the female also tries to be the Lord. So therefore we have Tarzan and Jane, we have Romeo and Juliet, we have Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. We have so many varieties of expressions of that desire to be the center of attention, the center of loving exchanges, of which the pinnacle is conjugal love. But actual conjugal love has nothing to do with material bodies. It has to do with spiritual bodies. And the exchange has nothing to do with gross sense gratification that we find in the material world. It has to do with exchanges of Ladini Shakti or transcendental loving exchanges. Uh, each one of us, we're particles of Ladini Shakti. Madhurarani, she's the entire Ladini Shakti. She is the complete manifestation of the pleasure potency of Krishna. And we're expansions of Shimati Rarani, and therefore we have a little particle of Shimati Rarani's pleasure potency, loving potency. But because we've been covered by these gross and subtle material bodies, therefore our particle loving propensity has been manifested through gross and subtle material bodies and is appearing in these different species of life 
as relationships between male bodies and female bodies, material bodies. But we ourselves as souls remain the same. The same sat, chit, and nanda soul, because that's what the soul is made from. Consciousness. We're certainly aware of the fact that we're conscious. And at the same time, we know we have a tendency, we want to love someone and we want to be the, um, loved by someone. And those who are aware can understand that this goes on forever. Whether we remain in the material world or we go back to the spiritual world, we're always going to seek two things. Conscious exchanges with other living entities or sometimes when one is very grossly absorbed in material energy, relationships with dead material energies. In any case, we're always seeking conscious relationships with something in order to enjoy pleasure. Now Krishna comes as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to show us how to become a devotee of Krishna. The generally external reasons why Krishna comes are mentioned in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, that Krishna comes because Advaita Charya, who is Mahavishnu, understood the problems of Kali Yuga, the whole aim of the material existence, the material creation, of which Advaita Acharya is one of the principal energies of Krishna to create, who makes the create the material creation. Advaita Acharya, of course, is Krishna himself taking the part of the creator of this material world. He's a expansion of Mahavishnu. Specifically, he provides the energies for the, the elements for creation. Now, Krishna, he has only one purpose in creating this material world. That is to bring the conditioned souls, which happens to be ourselves, back to the spiritual world. That's why he created this. He didn't create it because he needed a vacation from the spiritual world every once, or once in a while. And so he thought, well, let me create a material world and I can take a vacation there and I won't have to herd cows every day. I can take a break for a while and do some pastimes. That's not why Krishna created the material world, to take a vacation from the spiritual world. Krishna created the material world specifically because some conditioned souls, such as ourselves, we wanted to come here and imitate Krishna. Now, in order to become a devotee of Krishna, Krishna, if he came here as Krishna, or in order to help us become devotees of him, Krishna already tried to help the conditioned soul become his devotee by displaying his pastimes. But people cannot understand what Krishna was doing. Why Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill, why Krishna defeated Kaliya, why Krishna danced with the gopis. An ordinary person could not understand this. Therefore, Krishna himself came and practically displayed the same, the same pastimes, but in a different form. 
same form, but covered by his in, uh, internal energy, Shimati Rarani. So Krishna came as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on the request of Advaita Acharya, because Advaita Acharya, he came before Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But when he saw the degraded condition of Kali Yuga at that time, even 500 years ago, he, although he's God himself, thought that he could not possibly save these people. He saw that these people, they're absorbed in fruit of activities. They're absorbed in mental speculation. They're karmis and ganis. There were no, you know, varieties of, like nowadays they have, at one time I think it's increased, 72 different varieties of gender in America. Could you imagine trying to fill out a form before it used to be easy? You could put um, either a male or female, and most people, it was quite easy for them. But nowadays, in America and other places also, now they've created 72 varieties of gender, and it's always increasing. As they said, they did an interview at a university in, in Oregon. They were asking the students there, the interviewer was asking the students, now, if I, the, the interview was around, you know, two, was short, maybe a meter and a half, he's kind of a short person. And he asked different students, that if I told you that I was a Chinese woman, six feet, I don't know how you interpret it, two meters tall, would you believe me? And the student said, well, if you feel like that, I would. If that's what you really believe, then I had have to accept it. So we've come to the position that People are living in their imagination completely rather than some kind of reality. Now Krishna, he came here and as Chaitanya Mahabharu to show us how to become a devotee of Krishna. And he began the same similar pastimes, for instance, as Krishna ate clay when he was a child in Vrindavan, and Mother Jasoda looked into his mouth and saw the universal form. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he was a little baby with Mother Jasoda, he also ate clay. He also sat on rejected pots and gave some philosophy that bewildered Mother Jasoda. He also did mischief, mischievous pastimes by sometimes he'd go to the, the bank of the Ganges and when the Brahmins were doing their Gayatri in the water, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would swim underneath the water and grab their feet and pull them underneath the water while they were saying Gayatri. And when they come on the land, sometimes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would throw dirt on them and then they run after him and he'd run away. 
He also played with the little girls there, telling, asking them, because the girls at that time, they make offerings to Lord Shiva with different types of prasadam and flowers and pray to Lord Shiva for a good husband. So Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a boy would come there and tell them, you should make all these offerings to me instead of Lord Shiva, because Lord Shiva is my servant. And if you please me, then automatically Lord Shiva will, will be pleased and you'll get a good husband. So most of them didn't believe him. Who are you? You're just the son of a pandit. You're just Nimai pandit. You're just the son of a uh, Jagannath Misra. Why are you claiming you're God? You're so puffed up. So then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, if you don't give me these offerings, then I'll curse you. You'll get a husband who has eight other co-wives. So they became a little afraid. Maybe he's, if it's true, we're going to be in difficulty. So then they offered, they gave the offerings to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of the prasadam that was being offered to Lord Shiva and the flowers and other kinds of offerings. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went through his pastimes. So that's more or less an introduction in the Adi Lila for Krishna's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's activities. But later on, the other external reason for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, besides that he was called by Advaita Acharya, was to introduce the chanting of the holy names as the method of realization for this age. So many things go on in this age and many things are not very pleasant that, goes, that go on in this age. For instance, at the beginning of the of last century, especially, they were claiming that we're advancing, that now we're becoming more technologically advanced. When I grew up, they had the World's Fair. And at the one World's Fair, it was in New York. And there they were saying, they had all these displays of these electronical appliances and how by electricity was gonna modernize the world and everyone was gonna become more or less happy forever. So this has been going on for hundreds of years now. Technological advancement will make everyone happy. As I mentioned before, at the beginning of the 1900s, they invented what's called the automobile. And the automobile was being advertised as a solution to the, the pollution pro uh, problem that was caused by horses. Because at that time, practically everyone was riding around in a horse or a horse and buggy. But the result of that was that the horses were passing stool on the ground. And this was causing a pollution pro problem. So the Ford company advertised everywhere that if you buy a car, this will satisfy, this will solve the pollution problem. There'll be no more horse pollution. So indeed, we can see in modern society, they've solved to the greatest extent, the horse problem. 
but they haven't solved the pollution problem. So this advertisement of salvation through technological advancement has captured the minds of practically everyone in the world. People look at the benefits, but they don't perceive the problems. That previously people could just go out, work a few hours, sow their field, get the necessary products for maintaining themselves, especially food product, products, and spend the rest of their time, even if they were ordinary people, as Prabhupada said at night, they'd go to some festival in honor of Krishna, and they watch different uh, plays depicting Krishna's pastimes, they'd be engaged in kirtan, and then they go to sleep dreaming about Krishna and wake up the next day to do a little bit of work and then carry on to their business of self-realization. Due to so-called advancement, now the man has to work so many hours a day and the woman has, his wife has to work and even the children get jobs. And if they can, they'll even employ their dog as a watchdog, so he part-time. So there's some imagination that we're advancing technologically, but spiritually, we have little information about the reality of the self, the, reality, the purpose of life, and how to fulfill it. Therefore, in the middle part, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes and introduces the holy name. Because it's not very easy to convince a conditioned soul that he's conditioned. If he knew he was conditioned, he probably wouldn't be a conditioned soul anymore. Nor are people very much interested in so-called spiritual life. They think spiritual life means that if you can touch your, or if you can put your foot behind your neck, that's spiritual. Or if you can stand on one head, uh, one hand, then you're practically in the spiritual world already. The only hope for Kali Yuga is the chanting of the holy name. Because Sri Krishna, Chaitanya, or Namas Chintamani Krishnas, that Krishna and his name are non-different. They're not from Nama, Namino. So Krishna, in this age of Kali Yuga, has come as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is Radha and Krishna combined, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come and brought the holy name especially in this age. So that whatever our condition of life we're in, whatever our conception of life is presently, by the association with Radha and Krishna in the form of the Holy Name, by associating with Srimad Bhagavatam, especially Bhagavad Gita, by association with the deities, by association with the devotees, and by association with the holy places, or by preaching, uh, this can transform our consciousness from material to spiritual. The holy name has a purpose though, and that purpose is revealed in the confidential pastimes of Chaitanya Mahabharu. So, as it says, Ananda Chimaya Rasa Pratibhavi Tabis Tabiri Eva Nija Rupataya Kalabi 
Goloka eva nivisat yakilatma bhuto govindam adi purusham tamahan bhujami. So this is from the Brahma Samhita. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, who resides in his own realm, Goloka, with Radha, who resembles his own spiritual figure and who embodies the ecstatic potency, Ladini. Their companions are her confidence, who embody extensions of her bodily form and who are imbued and permeated with ever blissful spiritual rasa. So that's the spiritual world, uh, simply exchanges of love and pleasure. And Krishna is absorbed and his devotees are absorbed eternally in ever-increasing loving exchanges. Sense gratification always has its limits, but love is unlimited, can always grow more and more in profound eternally. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes and he shows us principally three things, internal things, internal consciousness. That, that's also explained in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Shirada Pranaya Mahina Kidrisho Vana Yaiva. So I'll just read the translation. Desiring to understand the glory of Radha's love, the wonderful qualities in him that she alone relishes through her love, and the happiness she feels when she realizes the sweetness of his love, the Supreme Lord Hari, richly endowed with her emotions, appeared from the womb of Srimati Sachi Devi as the moon appeared from the ocean. So these are confidential reasons, but they're also within our realm of experience. Even in the material world, this is what we're trying to experience. That everyone has the tendency to love, as Prabhupada writes in the Krishna book. Everyone has the tendency to love someone. That Krishna, he should be the object of love, is the central point of Krishna consciousness. Now in the material world, everyone is looking for some object of love. And that object of love usually should have two qualities. They should be lovable. And we should try to experience the sweetness of the love that we have. Oh, that they have towards us. So we have a loving propensity. And when we love something, we feel pleasure. Whatever it may be in the material world. Even in the material world, it's like that. If we love a man who loves a woman, then he has some feeling of happiness. And if a woman loves a man, they have some feeling of happiness. But it's not only men and women. If you love your dog, and you perceive your dog loves you, then there's some feeling of happiness. If you love your car, there's some feeling of happiness. If you love your football team, there's some feeling of happiness. So, when we love something, we find some happiness. And when we love something or someone, then we perceive their qualities, their lovable qualities, the qualities that we perceive as lovable. As a matter of fact, even if you don't like someone, if you start to glorify them, then after a while, you'll start perceiving that they actually have some good qualities. 
And if you start criticizing even some you like, then after a while, you'll only see their bad qualities. And if you serve, if we serve someone, then we'll sincerely serve someone, then after some time, we'll only see their good qualities. Because how can I, such a worthy person, serve someone if they're not worthy? So even we serve someone who's unworthy of service, but after a while, by serving them, we become convinced that they're actually worthy of service. We have a loving propensity, and when it's directed towards something, then we begin to experience our happiness of loving that object, and we start perceiving the good qualities of that object. And if it's a living entity, then we perceive the love and reciprocation that, that we have, that they have towards us for our service towards them. And we relish that appreciation that some living entity has towards us as a result of our serving them. And then in that appreciation, we start experiencing their good qualities. So not only we, we have a feeling of love that makes us happy, happy, but we also become even more happy when we find out someone appreciates or loves us. And when we discover the good qualities in others, then that also increases our happiness to appreciate their good qualities. Similarly, Radha and Krishna eternally are engaged in loving exchanges and that loving exchanges are on the same basis. Rani, she's made, she is pure love for Krishna. That's who she is. That's what she's made of, unlimited pleasure and sweetness. She's the embodiment of all good qualities, humility, kindness. She's the embodiment of 26 principal qualities of which sweetness and kindness and controlling Krishna are just some of them. And similarly, Krishna has 64 qualities, as we find in the nectar of devotion, to an unlimited degree as deep as the ocean. So Shimadurarani loves Krishna, and when Krishna experiences Shimadurarani's love, then he feels unlimited pleasure. And when Krishna feels unlimited pleasure, Shimadurarani experiences that pleasure even more than Krishna does, and her love increases. And when her love increases for Krishna, then Krishna feels even more pleasure. And when Krishna feels even more pleasure, then Shimadurarani feels even more love for Krishna. And therefore, there's eternally a competition between Shimadurarani's love and Krishna's love. Similarly, Shimadurarani, because of her unlimited love for Krishna, she's the, she's, she can experience Krishna's unlimited good qualities to the highest extent. And at the same time, Shimadurarani can perceive the love that Krishna has for her as she perceives the loves that she has for Krishna. So Krishna thought in the competition of love between Shimadurarani and Krishna, between myself and Shimadurarani, I cannot perceive the extent of happiness that she perceives 
by her selfless love for her, for me. And therefore, to experience that love, Krishna tried in different ways to take the role of Shimati Radharani, but he was unsuccessful. And therefore, he realized that unless I could, if, only if I take the mood of, and the activities of Shimati Radharani can I relish the same and enjoy the same experience that Shimati Radharani has in her loving exchanges with me. Therefore, simultaneously with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's advent in this Kali Yuga, in order to distribute the holy name, he also came and experienced Shimati Radharani's mood of love in Krishna consciousness by taking the mood and the complexion of Shimati Radharani and appearing as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we had this opportunity to serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through serving his mission. And his mission is been very simple. Yari Deka Tarikaha Krishna Upadesh Amaya Agaya Guruhana Taridesh. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has told us we only have one thing to do in this world, which makes life very simple in a very complicated yuga. Uh, that one thing is that whoever we come in contact with, whoever we meet, we should try to help them develop their relation with Krishna somehow or another. That's all we have to do. We don't have to do anything else. Our life is full of relationships, but if we take up that service of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through his representatives, Srila Prabhupada, is the best representative of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because he was expert. Whoever he met, he knew exactly what was necessary to say, to do, the mood to be in, in order to inspire to the best of his ability someone to take up Krishna consciousness in some way or another. Therefore, we can see in Srila Prabhupada's activities, in his conversations, Sometimes Prabhupada displayed different, almost like philosophies when interacting with different people because he adopted himself as a perfect instrument of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He adopted his philosophy, his activities, his mood, etc., in order to help whoever he came in contact with be appreciative of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his mission. And therefore, sometimes it's confusing that Prabhupada seemed to, you know, criticize one group of people or he seemed to uh, have different philosophies at different times because Prabhupada had to adjust himself to his audience according to time, place, and audience in order specifically to help people become Krishna conscious. That was his only interest. He didn't have any particular hatred or material love for anyone. He had only one objective is to bring people to Krishna consciousness. So similarly, that should be our objective. We should try to ascertain what the time, what the place, what the audience is, and pray to Krishna within our heart to give us remembrance and realization of the teachings of our acharyas so that we can help others uh, take up in some way the process of Krishna consciousness 
or at least be on a path which will lead them to the process of Krishna consciousness. So this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's came for, and this movement given to us by our acharyas through Srila Prabhupada is specifically for that, to spread the holy name around, and then to try to make the atmosphere such that people will accept the holy name and take it up seriously, in spite of all the problems of Kali Yuga. As a matter of fact, the, the problems of Kali Yuga are specifically meant to inspire people to take to the chanting of the holy names, to free us from this idea that we're going to, by material advancement, we can become happy. No matter how much it's advertised, 3D movies, unrestricted sex, unrestricted intoxication, unrestricted whatever it may be, uh, this will not actually make us happy or free us. It'll simply bind us more and more to the illusory energy and create more and more problems in our, in our existence, especially it'll cover our spiritual existence. Therefore, this simple chanting of the Holy Name and our attempt to make the atmosphere suitable for recept being receptive to the Holy Name, this is our mission of life. And if we serve Srila Prabhupada and those who are representing him in that mission, then the result is we'll be connected with our disciples' succession. By proper understanding, by proper mood, by proper activities, we connect with our disciples' succession, specifically with Prabhupada through his representatives, or we can directly approach Prabhupada also. The Prabhupada is even more pleased if we approach him through his bona fide representatives. Then that will connect us with our disciple succession through Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Prabhupada, through Gorkashore Des Babaji, through Bhakti Rota Kaur, who are connected with each other, not just by official initiation, they're connected by the mood and the mission of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's called our disciple succession. That's why Prabhupada gave us these books to connect with the mood and the mission of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Then we'll connect with, this, with the six Goswamis because they're the ones who are, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has empowered and authorized to give us this mood and the mission. And by connecting with the six Goswamis through their literature especially, then we can connect with the Panchatattva and ultimately with the mood and the mission of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And wherever Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when we connect with them, with him through this process, he's actually there. It is not that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left 500 years ago and he's no longer present. He's present in the Holy Name also. He's also present in the deity forms. He's present in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And he's, he appears in the consciousness of anyone who serves his mood and mission. And by connecting with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Panchatattva through the six Goswamis and our Acharyas, then wherever Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, there is all the pastimes of Radha and Krishna and their associates and all the different rasas are going on. So it is not that 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left 500 years ago, or that Krishna left 5,000 years ago, and that we were unfortunate. No, by connecting with the present Acharyas in our disciple succession and being helped by our present, their present representatives, we can actually go back even in this lifetime and feel separation from Krishna and his associates in Vrindavan and actually live in the spiritual world even during this present lifetime. The more we surrender to the mood and mission of Ketanya Mahaprabhu, then the more the spiritual world will appear to us and we'll be back in the spiritual world even without having to change this body. Instead of that, our body will become spiritualized and we'll wake up to our spiritual identity and even in this lifetime, be able to participate in Krishna's movement, Krishna's pastimes, but most importantly, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission to bring the other, his Krishna's children back to the spiritual world. So Shri Prabhupada once wrote to me, he said that the boys and girls in your country are generally good souls. That's why they've taken birth in such a nice country. That I've heard in Buffalo in two weeks, I've heard in New York in two weeks, they've distributed 3,000 back to Godheads and that you're also distributing Buffalo back to Godhead very nicely. So please continue in this way and your success in life is assured. As Krishna sees that you're helping to bring his other children back to the spiritual kingdom, then he'll bestow all his blessings upon you. That Krishna is never ungrateful for our efforts to serve him, rest assured. Srila Prabhupada Kijai, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Kijai, Samaveda Bhaktivinoda Kijai, Gaur Pemanande, Haribo. Any questions? It's not right. Vaprosi. Yes, Vaprosi. Yes. Yes. Maharaj, Krishna Sabahamrabha says, Hare Krishna. Thank you for wonderful class. It was. One discussion in our temple, one senior devotee said, no, it's gone these days. It's not the preaching mission anymore. So I didn't want to make a quarrel with him. Can well, you, <laughs> can you well, say something about that? Because I'm not, I, I don't agree with him. Like that. Yeah, well, obviously he was preaching. Yeah, yeah. Whether he was preaching the right thing or not, that's another thing. Well, what to degree he was, it may not be the same extent of the preaching mission in some parts of the world that it was previously. We may not, we may not have the same consistency and intensity as we had in some parts of the world at some previous time. But that doesn't mean that the, our mission Prabhupada's mission or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission has changed. We may have changed somewhat, but that doesn't mean we can't change for the better again, also. Hmm. Krishna says, by the embodied soul may be restricted from sense objects, although the taste for sense objects remains. But ceasing such engagements by experiencing a higher taste, one becomes fixed in consciousness. So whatever anyone thinks that doesn't mean we can't use our free will to chant Hare Krishna ourselves and to tell others about Krishna. 
And if we chant Hare Krishna and tell others about Krishna, then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's moved is alive. The preaching mission is going on. And we're doing the best we can to participate in it. We can't control, nor are we the, this universe. We're not here to become the controllers. We're here to become the instruments. So rather than complain about everything that's going wrong, we should do something that's right. And that will make a difference. Hmm. Probably once wrote to me, he said, if you write light, a match in a dark room, then the darkness can't put the match out. So no matter how dark Kali Yuga may be, and no matter how much some of us devotees may even be influenced by it, still, if we ourselves take the, our, the process of Krishna consciousness seriously and try to become an assistant to our acharyas, then that's like lighting a, a match in a dark room, and that will be noticeable more than simply turning off the lights. Anything else? Yes, I have a question. Um, I I have this question long time. Uh, if the five elements uh, in chapter, everybody knows. Okay, Bumira Pona Lovayu Kama No Bhutiravacha Ahankaraitiyame. Why why? Outer space is never mentioned as an element because before I joined, it was, uh, I remember I was like looking at chakras and this, and then there was this element, of course, the same elements, but then there was uh, outer space and light. So just like about this, if you can say where is outer space, why is not mentioned? Because it's too far out. <laughs> No, really. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as outer space. Only for people who take too many drugs, there's such a thing as outer space. But this, this planets are floating in outer space. They're, they're, being, they're floating because of air is moving them, according to the Bhagavatam. So the but there is space. There is space between you and me, space between... Yes, that's one that's, what, that's called... That's also one of the elements. It's called space, ether. It's called Bumir Apanalovayu Kamanobud Evacha. Kam. But ether is ether is sound, no? No, that's not sound. Sound is sound is in ether. I'm the sound in ether. Ether is a separate element. Sound goes through ether. So sound is not ether in this case. No, sound is a product of ether. Mm. Space is what holds everything. And even sound is held within ether. So, so shouldn't sound be also an element? No, because it's a product of the elements. There was a concluded within the elements. It's mm. a separate category. It's the products of the elements or considered products of the elements, not elements themselves. So actually you're saying that outer space is ether. Well, outer space, ether is everywhere in the universe. 
And there are different elements in outer space also, what they consider outer space, because like I said, according to the Bhagavatam, what moves the planets is air. It's like what moves everything in our body is air. There are varieties of air. Air is not, air is whatever moves things, can be considered the energy of air. But ultimately everything is a transformation of Brahman. So within our limited experience, we have the experience of what we consider earth, water, fire, air, and ether. But there are other more subtle forms of these things in different places in the universe. Because like anything that's solid is considered to be earth. Anything that, that binds things together is considered to be water. Anything that moves things is, or that transforms things is considered to be fire. And anything that moves things is said to be air. And anything that uh, holds things is considered to be ether. So these are, these are here in this planet and they're also in other planets but they may have a different variety of subtleness to them, subtlety to them. Any, any other questions? Yuga Lepriti? Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna, Dragu Guru Maharaj, primiti my paklon. Я хотела спросить, вот в Бхагавадгите, 18 главе, 56 56 стих говорится в комментарии, что у чистого преданного остаются еще желания. Вот хотелось бы узнать, это как... Какой, какой стих? 18 глава, 56 стих в комментарии. В комментарии, не в самом... Хорошо, Ин. Багавадгита 1854. 56. Uh, 1856 Utilize them for Krishna. Yeah, material desires are, I mean, the, the soul has desires. Ну, то есть они действительно, да, есть, остаются. In other words, this, we ourselves are souls. Eternally we desire. So desire, we can't stop desiring. But we just have to utilize our desires correctly so they help us become conscious of Krishna. So in order to do that, we have to hear from the scriptures and from Guru Sadhana and Shastra and understand how everything here belongs to Krishna. So that's the beginning of the transformation of our desires. When we think whatever I have belongs to me, then our desires will be spirit material. If we think whatever I, whatever I have influence over belongs to Krishna, that would immediately transform my, transform my desires to something else. Similarly, if I desire, or if I understand that I should desire to find out what Krishna wants me to do with his energies, that these things don't belong to me, they belong to Krishna, that's a further transformation of our desires. 
Just like if one wor works in a bank, he may count millions of dollars or rubles or whatever. But he doesn't believe that one, even one ruble or one dollar belongs to himself. He simply works in the bank under the direction of his authority. So if we accept everything belongs to Krishna and then find out what Krishna wants us to do with his energies, that's a further transformation of our desires from karma yoga to jnana yoga. And when we accept that when we utilize Krishna's energies under the direction of his authorities, we should do these things to please Krishna with care and attention, that's called bhakti yoga. It's like someone has stolen something. So he's a thief, he'll be punished. But if he agrees to give him the stolen property, then he gets freed from some of his illegal activities. And if he follows the directions of where to give the stolen property to, who to give it to, and how to, who, and when to give it, etc., then he's further becoming honest. And when he changes his mentality and wants to rectify himself and do something to satisfy the person he stole everything from, then he becomes completely transformed. So we've, we've come here to steal Krishna's property, so we should recognize who the property actually belongs to. So that means that's, that's a transformation. We become more honest. When we find out what Krishna wants us to do, we hand in the stolen property, who to, hand, who to give it to, then we become even further honest. And when we try to make amends and utilize those prop that property to please the person we stole it from, then we become thoroughly honest. Hare Krishna. Anything, I guess we can stop here. Thank you all. Have a nice appearance day. Happy appearance day of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we look forward to all, seeing you all again. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Samaveda Bhakta Vrindi Ki Jai. Gaur Pramanande. Hare Krishna. 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 Hare Krishna.